Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Navigating Life Abroad podcast. I am your host, Ashley Liliana. As we know, life does not stop when you move or live abroad. This podcast is a space where we can come together to share our advice, experiences, and stories as we navigate life abroad. In today's episode, we are chatting with my dear friend, Dr. Jose Garcia, who is doing his master's abroad in Oviedo, Spain. In our conversation, we cover his time abroad in Kenya and Sudan, cultural preparation, and loneliness. In full transparency, we recorded this conversation before his move to Spain and when I was still living in Chile. To keep with the transparency, you will hear a very special guest in the background, a lovely cat named Kenma, who belongs to my friend who I was staying with at the time when I was living in Chile. I guess Kenma had some really strong opinions on the topics as well, and he had to share. Let's get into the episode. My name is Jose. Uh, I'm from the Dominican Republic. I'm a medical doctor trained here, uh, but also I'm an international as I've been working, I worked for the last couple of years in Kenya and Sudan and got an internship in, in, in New York just before that, uh, where I met you in 2017, 2018. And, and I'm really glad that I'm here. Thank you for having me. I think it's a really nice community that you are creating. So let's just kind of get right to it. Like you said, you've mentioned that you've lived in New York, that you've lived in Kenya and Sudan. I want to know a little bit about what the preparation was like before you moved, whether you want to talk about Kenya or Sudan, just what that preparation was like. Let me give you a little bit of context and kind of a timeline. Like I'm based in the Dominican Republic. This is where I've been, where I was born and I've been raised all my life. But I, but I have always worked uh, for the non-privileged or less privileged sector. So I, I've always had this, a little bit of this kind of notion of life, right? But right from the DR, I went to New York to, to do an internship and I lived there for almost six months. It was kind of a huge change, especially professionally speaking, it was a pretty good milestone in my, in, in my profession. But it was in, in terms of culture and, and culture track, it, it was kind of the same. I mean, I'm from Santo Domingo, the capital here in DR, and I was in New York. It, it, it's kind of the same busy, it's kind of the same a hectic type of city. However, the real change came up when I went to Kenya after New York and from Kenya to Sudan, and that was just insane. Uh, and for those type of trips, uh, let me just be clear. I mean, these were mission trips, medical mission trips. You know, we were not preparing ourselves for tourism, we were preparing ourselves to be in a remote area in these two countries in Africa. One of the main things in this preparation for the trip was the culture, the culture preparation. Why? Because these two countries in Southeast Africa, as any other country in the world, like they have a, a huge heritage, right? And, and a lot of culture. However, in the remote areas, you see these type of things even much more expressed in their daily life. I mean, like I was located in a very isolated, uh, almost 10 hours away from Nairobi in Kenya and completely isolated in, in Sudan. Um, I went first to Kenya and, and, and the contrast from New York to Kenya was insane. But from, as well from in, within Kenya, like you, you get to Nairobi, the capital, and then you travel almost 10 hours away, basically to the bush. It's just, uh, it's just insane. I mean, and the diversity you see within the culture, within the country, is it, it's huge. I was located in, in a southeast community of Kenya uh, called Mutomo, which belongs to the Kamba or Kikamba region. 
and or, or the Kikamba tribe, because that's an, that's another thing in Africa. Like they are separated or um, distributed along tribe. And for example, in the culture preparation we had prior the trip, we have to learn the language. And you will say, okay, you go to Kenya, you have to learn Swahili, which is the the the, the nationwide language. But the issue is that when you go to this type of tribe, this type of communities that are more much more isolated you see that local people, they, they don't speak Swahili that much. I had to learn the dialect or I had to learn the mother tongue. Uh, so all these days trying to learn Swahili maybe didn't work that much. At the end, what I was trying to speak with my patients and what I had to learn was Kikamba in this case. Uh, so those, those, those are things that you have to keep in mind when you are traveling, especially to certain uh, uh, traditional, and I will say um, it's much more close, you know, when, I, when it's reserved, traditional and reserved cultures. You have, you have to see this, you have to learn this. And it's not that they get offended if you speak in Swahili, it's just that they don't understand you. And uh, communication is something pretty basic anywhere you go, right? Yeah, I agree. There was something that you were saying about culture prep and I started to think, okay, I've never been on a, a mission trip. And I was like, how does that relate to the experiences that I had? And when I went to Bali, for example, we had some language, you know, how to say good morning, good afternoon, um, but also about dressing. A big part of it was as a teacher, you had to make sure your knees were covered, your shoulders were also covered, you know, you presented yourself a, a certain way. And then when you talk about language, I think about when I moved here to Chile, it's not the same, but you know, you have the slang, right? The everyday usage words that they use and it's completely different and you have to in a way almost learn those words and in order to be able to communicate with either your students or your patients you have to be able to kind of have that basic understanding to be able to communicate and do basic daily you know things in life when you're living in the country so when you said those things it's not the same but I could like think how that would relate to my experiences and maybe people who have like similar experiences because not everyone goes on a mission trip and some people just yeah. go study abroad or they go to like live abroad for a year or so those are really good points that you made about the culture preparation I think you get some of it sometimes, but I don't think it's enough or the, the weight of the importance of that culture. Exactly. You know, it's like, here are some words you need to know, but no, you need to know them in order to communicate. Yeah. And I think it comes, this mentality, this mindset of comes from being a little bit more than respectful. I mean, like when we are doing tourism, like if I went to Colombia, I went, I've been in Brazil as well. I've been in the U.S. many times. We take for granted, I mean, in the, that this type of communication and exchange, you know, we approach people, local people, like the way, like if we were in our own country and maybe we just, we just take that for granted, you know? Or for example, if you go to Africa, uh, certainly most of the people, especially if they finish a school, they are they are really prepared in a, in English like like really like you can go at any time and you will find people speaking English in, in your everyday life in Kenya and even in Sudan. The issue is that we take that for granted, you know, like well, I'll go there and I'll speak English, but but that's not the way that's not the way they see it. I mean, it's a huge effort for them, and it's it, it sometimes it's a huge denial of their own culture. We have to, I, I think, like. It's a tip that goes not only for missions, but also for, as you say, for any type of trip, for any type of traveling, is uh, have this deep sense of respect for the culture that, that is hosting me and learn from them and learn ahead so I can be there and not only thank them for receiving me, but also uh, appreciate their differences and their particularities. So I think that's something beautiful to take into account.
No, I love that. I've read somewhere exactly basically what you said, that as English speakers, we sometimes assume that other countries, you know, speak English or, you know, have someone to speak English and we don't even bother to learn some of the language. Maybe we'll learn like a few words here or there, but we don't even yeah. speak English as if though they have to accommodate us, us accommodating, you know, them in a way because yeah. we're the ones entering their country their culture exactly i think that's a really like poignant you know point to make you know when whether you are a tourist for a week or you are living for a long period of time to make that effort you know you're the one visiting you're the one entering that culture now living in kenya what were some uh, whether it was culture shock or difficulties that you had living there what were things that stood out to you in your mind or in your experience looking back sure so i think that in kenya uh, and, and i will say because because i had the chance to travel around uh, around the area around the region i went to uganda as well and i will say like they are very open like it's a really warm and calid culture and but quite the same as here you know like we are very uh, and latinos as you know in general like we are really open and really um uh, humble and trying to make everybody feel better and and that's what that, that's what you get first impression and it's true they are like that However, I will say like it, it, it's not the same way as, as 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 my own culture. Like for example, here in the R, uh, maybe I'm not kind of the general, the the typical Dominican, but usually, you know, the um, the approach to women, it's it, like we don't maybe happens in in every other Latino country. Latino countries, uh, like like we don't respect much the 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 personal space you know uh and and that happens between sexes as well like you know men and and women we are they, we can we we can talk very close to each other and we can you know not being any uh sexual harassing or anything like that we so we so this is something that you have to keep in mind when you're going when when you're going to so uh reserve uh untraditional type of culture things because uh, women are quite afraid, like they back you up a little bit, you know, and that happened to me the first couple of weeks. Uh, and I was, I, I didn't understand at the beginning, but it was like, kind of like uh, am I, is it something wrong with me? But just to understand, like, that's how they uh, show respect, you know. The personal space, when you were, you know, talking to them and I had to get used to that, it made me think of the first day of teaching here when I was here in Chile. Although I, my mom is calling me my dad to Ecuadorian, I grew up in the States and coming from an yeah. Background in the workspace, like everything has to be professional, and you know nothing can be, you know, crossing the line to a certain extent. And I come my first day here with my colleagues, teachers, and students. It was like, "Hi, profe, kiss on the cheek." It's like I remember my face was just like I froze like the first time because that if that space was invaded, and it was quite shocking. Uh, but I was taken so aback by it. I mean, at the end, I like loved it, and I thought it was something so warm and beautiful. But it's you know when I think about where I come from that culture aspect is so completely different. Like you would never see that in the United States between teachers and students at any level or any age, not even in a workspace like that. And even the colleagues are so close with each other. What what about um, meeting people? Did you go with other like doctors and nurses or were you by yourself? So I was mainly by myself. However, it it was a mission hospital, which had a lot of partnership with many other NGOs and um, group of people are all around the world. So there was always a, in, a really incoming and outgoing uh, flow of uh, people, uh, expats as we call them, right? I mean, like we had Irish, uh, Polish, uh, Swedish, uh, mainly Americans as well. So the fir- when I arrived, I was 
by myself like the first two weeks. Then there was a group of uh, Americans that came with residents, Americans that came with um, with my organization, with CMMB, and they stayed for two months. It, it actually helped me out, you know, to connect with the community. I was not alone. So here's the thing, like with, I, I'm this Dominican guy, but I'm linked to an American organization that is working in Africa, that is working in Kenya. So I have, you know, these three things. I, I'm, I have to be Dominican, I have to be myself, right? But I have to work by American standards and protocols and way of projecting an American image, you know. Uh, but at the same time, I'm working in a, in, a, in another country, you know. I'm working in Kenya, which has its own culture and stuff. So I was kind of a, these three... Three different cultures. Correct. So, so the, this uh, group of doctors from the U.S. helped me out to how to be an American in Kenya at the same time as being a Dominican and trying to capture uh, the Kenyan way of working. So it was, it was a really, I would say, multicultural way of adapting. But anyway, I was not alone the first couple of months and it helped me out a lot to be with them and learn a little bit more from American as well from Kenya and to adapt. Uh, to their standards and the way of expressions and the way of uh, they work, right? The daily life. The main thing was that as I was not alone, it was really easy to meet with the locals. Uh, you know, we were a group of foreigners and we were all, the five of us, we were young. Uh, we, you know, we, we were kind of the same age of our co-workers, the local co-workers. Uh, so we had we had the opportunity to go for walks, to go for hikings together. Uh, the, I remember in Kenya there was we were really isolated, but there was a space for uh, there was kind of a bar thing that was called No Stress Bar, which <laughs> it's a very nice <laughs> name to put it, very funny name to put it. And what were the local, they recreate themselves, you know, in terms of music and some alcoholic beverage. And, you know, it, it was a really nice environment. And we used to go there with the local people and, and have a beer or have a, a Coke. And, and it was really nice. So, so not being alone helped me out to, you know, to meet stuff and, and adapt. And, and, and it was really funny. It made everything fun. You know, the, the adaptation was fun. After that, I was pretty much by myself as I say there were pretty a lot of people coming and going but I was the one always receiving them and saying goodbyes that was kind of a frustrating thing as well I mean I was at the end I was the one left behind you know and and it was a it was the best year of my life but every time somebody else was leaving and moving on I was you know there with a lot of work and trying to accomplish things that maybe, uh, you know, I had goals and, and stuff. So I was the one always left behind. And that's something that I think uh, applies to any solo trip. At the end of the day, you are by yourself and you are quite alone and you have to fight with that. So, so that's something that that was very particular in this, in this type of missions. Uh, yeah, I kept thinking to myself, I was like, this is my home, basically. Like, these people are leaving and going, but this is my home. This is like where I live. This is where I work. And I'm Correct. I'm staying, I'm not moving, but there's something quite lonely about that in a way. Like for a period of time, there's like a loneliness that comes with it. So what was that like for you in Kenya? 
that feeling of loneliness and how did you know how did it feel and how did you deal with it and overcome it so um so it was really hard uh at the beginning it was a challenge you know you see it like okay so i'm young i have a lot of free time and but but you either do which what i did was at the beginning i was i just got engaged much more with my work i was just i have this time i'm not gonna what, what am i gonna do at the house you know which in my in my particular experience my my home was really nearby the hospital so i was just you know i was just basically going for home for lunch, going to home for lunch and just go back to work uh so work was always kind of in my in my in my mind and in my in my life around in Kenya. What I want to say is that at the beginning, I was, you know, I, I took it as a challenge and I was just kind of either working more or the little free time I had, the few hours, I was just making something new, either going for a hiking, either going for a regular evening walk or doing exercises. And I remember by the fourth uh, or fifth month, I started, you know, doing exercises, exercising by myself. Uh, at home or at the park. I mean, at the park, but it's, it was just open land. So I tried to find something to do. Read books, training yourself uh, in terms of uh, academic stuff and for work. Planning and designing projects for your... For, I, I was doing that for my job, for my work there. Uh, I would say exercising, I would say, took most of it. And it was the the main activity or the only activity that you know, kept going all the way through because it was the way I was, you know, venting. It was the way I was just getting out of job, uh, out of the job. And and I will say, yeah, that, that was basically my routine. It, it's funny because in these type of trips, like you start, you see, like if you see back, if you, yeah, if you reflect on it, you see yourself trying to do something new, but you were always coming back to the, to, to, to where you started, like I, I was always, you know, going back to, okay, so I'm just going to exercise a little bit here. Uh, I, there was a couple of weeks that I got into watching some specific movies that I was, that I had the, the chance to download in, in Nairobi. So I was just watching those type of movies or I was just reading these type of books. But all the time, you know, when you get out of resources, you're suddenly like, okay, so I just go back to exercise again. So, yeah, that's the way you kind of kill time, you know? How important would you say routine? We can think about this maybe like in New York context or Kenya or Sudan. How important do you think is routine when living abroad to kind of keep you grounded and maybe sometimes keep you, you sane? How important do you think routine is? So I think it's, uh, it's really important uh, because it allows you to... Uh, keep yourself, as you say, grounded. Like, like this is where I am. These, these, these are my possibilities. These are the things that I can do, and and allows you to enjoy enjoy your surrounding much more, I believe, uh, and to adapt yourself. You know, uh, I think uh, for me, in this specific uh, type of trip that I did uh, when I was in the re in this remote hospital. If, if I didn't find something else to do, if I didn't immerse myself in this routine that I made, I would have been completely absorbed by the hospital, by the job there, by work, which I mean, in any other work, in any other part of the world, you know, work can really be overwhelming, absorbing. And I think it, 
routine in my life in Kenya and even in Sudan as well was allowing me to be more relaxed, to adapt to the culture, to be more, much more uh, nicer to, uh, much nicer to the people and that, that were hosting me. Uh, because otherwise I would have been really grumpy. <laughs> but yeah, sport, I would say uh, reading, obviously mingle and, and try to connect with the local people, go out, go for walks, enjoy nature, you know. That, that, that's what routine allows you to. It, it allows you to, to be more present in the time. Uh, it, it, it's not easy as, as, as any routine. It's not easy. You always start very with lots of impetu and, and, and lots of force and, and, and very eagerly. Yeah. But to keep it uh, along the time, it, it's really hard. And always you have these days and moments where you are just want to get out of the routine because you, you get tired of it. I mean, and that's natural. But for sure, what it gives you is allows you to, to leave the present a little bit more and enjoy your surroundings. People want to travel or live abroad because like they're tired of routine. So it's like to create a routine, it's almost counterintuitive. Like, why would I do that when I want to be adventurous? But I have found the same as you that having some sort of routine and being flexible with it, but having it to be consistent allows me to be present and to enjoy more wherever I'm at. It definitely helps, you know, even when I was back in New York for a long period of time, creating some sort of routine is what helped me keep sane as opposed to kind of losing my mind because <laughs> that's easy yeah. thing, you know, maintaining it is the hardest. I want to talk about Sudan now in the same way you talked about Kenya. What were some of the culture shock? To make the contrast, Kenya was this huge country, quite stable, politically speaking, very rich and people are very aware of, of their richness in terms of culture, in terms of uh, food, dancing, they are really proud of, of who they are, you know? Sudan, in the other hand, Sudan was much more isolated. I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to put it. It's much more conflicted, you know? So I, was, I went to Sudan for, for four months and it was mainly for this medical uh, project we had in a, in a post-conflict zone, which is called the Nuba Mountains in Sudan. And as I say, it's a post-conflict. So, so these are people that, it's a settlement of around, it's a catchment area of around 1 million people who has been continuously for years uh, and decades oppressed. That, that, that's the word that I was looking for. I mean, Kenya was this kind of liberal, cultural, I mean, not liberal, but they have this freedom of a speech of their own culture and, and express themselves. In, in, in all the areas, but Sudan, it, although it's a, rich, it's a really rich culture area and country, this community I was in, it was so oppressed. You were able to feel that in their daily life. They don't speak that much about the, about the Nuba people, about the Nubians, how they call it. Obviously you can find people who, who can talk, who can go through the history, but their history is so conflictive. It's so oppressive. It has been so difficult that, that it's quite kind of a horror movie, you know, that people just like you and I have gone through this terror. And it was a four months mission, completely much more isolated than, than Kenya. We were the only hospital for around a million people, as I say, 
between a couple of UN refugee camps right in the south of Sudan, in the south of Sudan. But it's a very conflicted area in terms of ethnicity and religion. There's a lot of instability there. The same government that is ruling in Khartoum does not uh, recognize their own land in Nuba Mountains, you know. And people reflect that in their daily life. I mean, we had workers, local people in the hospital. We had a kind of a work a workforce, I would say, around 50, 50 Nubians and in the hospital and between nurses and people that were trained along the way. I mean, people that maybe went to second grade of primary school and that's it. And they have to cope with their life and, their, and, and struggle with all the war and everything. So, so they reflect this history of the last 10, 12 years of the last decade, I will say, of terror and oppression. And, and, and it's really sad. However, you have these little moments in, in, in your day where you find one of the kids or, or, the, or, the, or the younger that, you know, they express themselves with a little bit more, more freedom. And you can see just for a, you know, just for a moment, you can see how beautiful and rich their own culture are. And they express themselves in terms of dance, in terms of dressing. I mean, we, we had the chance, I had the chance to, to be part of, how you say, of their own holidays there. And they make dresses for me and my colleagues very colorful and they have these dances and, and they and they have these moments of joy and you can see and perceive how beautiful and rich they are. It's just that they have this great past that, yeah, that hides and, and all, all these joyful things. I want to talk about, I guess, like that reverse culture shock. I'm really big on talking about not just culture shock when you get to a country, but the opposite effect. You went to New York after Sudan, correct? Correct. What was it like returning to a city like New York City, probably one of the most, almost overwhelming cities in the yeah. world? What was that like going from a place like Sudan to then going to a place like New York? Really um, frustrating and I would say self-breaking. I don't know if that's a word, but uh, it, it, just, it just broke me from the inside out. In less than 48 hours, I, I was in the middle of nowhere with no resources. I, I lost almost 20 pounds in Sudan. I was doing really hard work over there. And people were having, pe people didn't have any, not, nothing. Like they don't have shoes to walk around. And in 48 hours, I was in a place where a scarcity doesn't exist, you know. It's completely the opposite. It's just too many things. Uh, and and, and, and it, it was just incredible for me. It just broke me down in terms of how is this possible? How can this inequality, inequity, it is possible? How, how and, and, and what role do I play in all this, you know? I mean, uh, I, I love Sudan, I love Kenya, but I also love Sweden in between of them, and I love New York. Um, coming, coming back to New York, 
was much more overwhelming than, than, than going from the art there. Uh, it, it was just, I just wanted to, I just wanted to get out of there. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was just really hard for me to understand and comprehend how, how these, these two worlds can be so, can exist in the same. Same time, yeah. Did you ever find yeah. yourself being angry at everything, but also maybe at family members or friends or just like people that you were like with or interacting with, did you ever find yourself angry? Because yeah. of course my living abroad experiences have, are not at all the same. But when I came back from Bali, I know that I came back and I was angry and I got depressed. I would lash out sometimes. And I internalized so much what I saw that if people wasted something or bought something that was not necessary, I'm like, why are you doing right. that? Did you ever find yourself kind of in that space or in that headspace? Yes, especially with my uh, elder brothers. Uh, so I have a sister in New York and she's the one who, who hosts me when I went back. And she has two kids. One of the youngest one is four year old. And you know, at that time when I went back, they picked me up from the from the airport, and they, you know, they brought me. Obviously, they brought me to a restaurant. We had a lot of food and stuff, which was quite, really like mind blowing experience. And then, you know, I went to my nephew's room, uh, and I just didn't find myself in this kind of so much and so many things a space. You know, it was it was just. It was just too much. So uh, as you say, like I was slashing out a little bit, like I was just not connecting with how you live this way. And coming back here in the R after New York, so my elder's brother, he, uh, or my surrounding, they engaged themselves in, in buying things, right? I mean, like we, we have that in New York, like buying Amazon and you buy every, anything. I'm from, you know, I, I'm just a lot of things that maybe you don't need. Uh, and then you are asking yourself, where did I leave, where did I left something or these things? Because in the house you have so many things that you don't know where you put it. And it's just insane that, you know? Uh, so, so to my family, yes, uh, I've been a little bit more distant in a but in a in a very deep sense like it's not that i don't share with them things it's that i don't like to be i, I don't want to be like you guys you know <laughs> no don't take it in, in a bad way but it's just that there, there should be another way much more sustainable that make much more sense with the reality around the world i'm not saying that having things and having access to things is a bad, uh, it, it's something that is bad. What I'm saying is that it should be the same opportunity for everybody. So I think that my life after my mission trips, much more, I would say, much more conscious and aware of the reality in another world. Last thing I'm going to ask is, what is one piece of advice that could be for anyone, whether they are you know, moving abroad or studying or they're going on a mission trip like you did? Just what's like one piece of advice that you want to share with people? I will say to always keep in mind, and that's something that I used uh, for my own trip. Always keep in mind that you are the guest, you know, in, in their house. You are the one coming 
and they are the one receiving you with open arms most of the time and you should pay respect to their house to how things are arranged and organized in their house and to how their behavior and hierarchy and any i mean anything that anything that is their their reality like anyhow is their their reality is like you should acknowledge that that you are the one coming to their house and i think that's something that kept me grounded and humble and and i think applies to any trip anywhere you go just remember that you are a guest I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you in the next one. Ciao.